This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. And welcome back to Citizen Scrubs that Mike has just called to session. Apparently. Um, I have to say, I listened to last week's episode and I think I bored myself. I was so flat in that episode, as Paul kindly pointed out to me tonight as well. I was just, it was the morning. It was the morning episode we recorded. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm boring myself. Oh so um, we're back on evenings. We're getting this done. Hey, if you didn't listen, don't let that stop you from doing it. <laughs> no, I just, it's the content was good. Yeah. But I am just like this. I It's, we can't do morning. We just can't do morning. I didn't notice. But anyway, I thought the content was good. It was okay. very interesting. I still, I've heard it before and was still shocked when I heard it again. When okay. you were talking about the people in the ditch with the flooding. I was oh, like, no, I hate like, that. like, I haven't heard it before. I'm like, oh my God. Did um, they get out? Oh my God. Uh, all right, so this week we are talking about, uh, we had nurses in the news a couple of weeks ago, and now we're talking about doctors in the news, yep. and some of these guys are real something. They're something. Pieces of work, I tell real you. Real pieces of work, all mm-hmm. right. Uh, I think Spockles is going to kick it off foist. Okay. So this guy, I had, I did this because it, he was he's just in the news, brand mm-hmm. new, September. Um, <laughs> Dr. Ronaldo Ortiz uh, was an anesthesiologist in North Texas. So... Dr. Ortiz was twice disciplined by the Texas Medical Board in his career. Mm-hmm. Once, um, he failed to report a conviction for shooting a neighbor's dog. Ooh. So, you know, he's a little mentally right unstable. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the second um, time he was disciplined was for not administering life-saving measures to a patient in distress at North Garland Surgery Center. Hmm. He's accused uh, of negligence. In that case, he did not recognize inadequate oxygenation and ventilation of his patient. The patient needed CPR. Which is only CPR. like the, the two that's, skills that an anesthesiologist really needs. I mean, that's literally <laughs> that's making what they sure do. they're breathing. That is the one thing you do. Yep. Um. Uh, the patient needed CPR. Like, that's how bad they... He um, didn't see it. Arrested, yep. And the patient did Survived. make it, but he caused he this problem. Yeah. Yes. Um. And then in May... So with that, at the North Garland Surgery Center, when they said, okay, this is negligent, blah, 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 instead of like um, being made to give up his license or his accreditation or whatever, he forfeited his medical privileges at that surgery center. But not everywhere. He but just not everywhere. Gonna, he's just not going to be there. Just at that surgery. He said, you know what? Take my privileges. We're done. I won't work here. Which saves him losing his medical license. Right. And the place is like, okay, good. You're not here anymore. We don't want you here. And they kind of let it go. Mm -hmm. Then in May 2022, Dr. Ortiz is um, working at Baylor Scott and White Surgery Care. Baylor. Oh, look at who shows up again. Baylor. In North Dallas, Texas. Um, And in May, he has a very similar occurrence with a patient. What the fuck is he doing? He's not. He did not recognize the patient had had low oxygenation and was not ventilating well. So when the O2 sat said eighty, he wasn't. wasn't I I don't know what he's doing. Because I'm not an anesthesiologist and I could pick that up pretty. I mean, I mean the person was blue. You would hope so. He um, is he like on drugs or something? Mm -mm, Nope. I don't know what he's doing, but he's just not recognizing that the patient's not doing well. He's texting. Yeah. So same sort of thing happened. So he tells a coworker this summer he feels that 
um, Baylor, Scott, and White Surgeon Care are like crucifying him over his little mistake. So he's not happy with where he's working. And he feels like he's being unfairly judged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In June of this year, Dr. Melanie Casper is an anesthesiologist at Baylor, Scott, and White. She brings home, she's 55, she brings home an IV set and IV bag with her because she's dehydrated for whatever reason. I don't know if she was sick or whatever. She feels very dehydrated. She brings home an IV bag, gives herself an IV at home to rehydrate, which is not, it's a frowned upon thing to do. Um, She suffers a medical emergency when she gives herself the IV and is dead before the EMTs <gasps> can get to her house. Oh my God. Dies. Dead. Um. It's thought at the time she had a massive heart attack. Right. No, she wasn't feeling well. She's dehydrated. They don't. She had a massive heart attack and died before the EMTs can get there. Then, over the next couple months of the summer, this summer, at Baylor, Scott, and White, there are eleven cardiac emergencies that occurred with patients at this surgery care. Now it's a surgery center, so it's not like people who are severely ill do no, not these go are to surgery in and centers. Out. These are yeah. in and out burgers. You're a healthier person yeah. if you go to a surgery center for surgery. Um. It was discovered that IV bags had been injected with bupivacaine, epinephrine, and lidocaine. Bupivacaine and lidocaine are um, local anesthetic agents. Like, they numb you up. You know, if you're going to cut yeah. a wart out, they numb you up with bupivacaine. If they, if you get your teeth done, it's yeah. like a Novocaine thing. Um, so these IV bags have bupivacaine, lidocaine, and epinephrine in them. An epi. Epi is what you give somebody whose heart is, like, not working. You yes. inject them with the epi to get it going again. Yes. And then these IV bags were placed in the warmers. This this surgery care puts all their IV bags in in the warmers. If you have a a lot of bupivacaine or lidocaine, you can get a toxicity. It causes um, central nervous system problems like dizziness, a metallic taste in your mouth, um, seizures, the depression of your central nervous system. You can go into a coma. Um, and those signs, the neuro signs, are then followed by cardiac signs like bradycardia, arrhythmias, and in severe cases, asystole. So you like Oof. lidocaine and bupivacaine toxicity is very, very serious. It right. leads to very serious problems. Which is why when you're problems. in the OR and you're giving it, you always have to tell them how much you're giving. You can't only give so much. Right. It depends on the patient's weight. Mm-hmm. It's very serious. The toxicity from those are it's very serious. Serious complication. Yes. Um. So... They're like, what the hell? Like, all these 11 emergencies happened there. They're checking everything. They were found to be in longer cases that needed more than one IV bag. So they're getting... It's funny how they investigate that and find that out, you know I know. I mean? They're getting multiple IV bags. Um, So you're getting multiple doses of this bupivacaine and lidocaine oh, and epinephrine. Yes. Like, you're getting more <sighs> of the stuff in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Um, Ortiz was never the anesthesiologist in any of these cases. The autopsy on Casper comes back at the end of August. She died of an overdose of bupivacaine. So they're like, okay. So she brought an IV bag home. She dies of this. It's in these IV bags. There's something with the IV bags. So they shut down the, the, they stopped doing cases. They stopped working. They're investigating everything. They go through all their videos. In the hospital, there's cameras everywhere. That's what people forget. Like people commit these fucking, like they were talking about the serial killer out in California. Is that on the health? They caught him today. He wouldn't have gotten very far with all these cameras and videos. And like, yeah, you're never going to see the likes of Ted Bundy again. You know what right, I mean? Be like, oh, that guy was on my door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the video shows Dr. Ortiz 
placing IV bags into the warmers shortly before all these incidents occurred. Oh, so if the incident the occurred on May 24th, that morning he had placed IV bags in the warmer. If the incident oh. occurred on June 8th, that morning he had placed IV bags in the warmer. And he know he's placing them in the warmer that he's not going to use because this is not happening on any of his patients. Um, so it seems like he felt like he was being persecuted for making a simple mistake. So he's having other people oh have what a sicko with their patients that's what, what it seems sicko, like right? yeah like, yeah like oh i'm not the only or one he just up. wants to you kill people up. yeah right you messed up this is your fault so you are gonna get invested you know what I mean? like it what seems a like he's a sicky yeah crazy person um so he's 59 he could face life in prison for tampering with a consumer product causing death in intentional drug adulteration so because he put wow because he poisoned this yeah. consumer yeah, product murder yep and he he killed that doctor the, the doctor who went home did the other 11 Survived. They survived. One kid was the last kid was eighteen, and he had he needed CPR. He needed to be reintubated, and he had to be transferred to an ICU at another hospital. Fuck. Um, but they did survive. Fuck. Yep. But this is like you're mad because you made you yeah. messed up. You were but negligent. You know what? There's a psych problem there. Yes, he shot he, a dog. Exactly, and the fact that he doesn't want to admit that like why are you ignoring these patients and the fact that they're sick? Do you right. know? What I mean, that's a whole nother story for another time. Yeah. Um, so the doctor I deal with is different. He's mm-hmm. more like um, Dr. Deathish, where he okay. just, he doesn't see the problem with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I got 100% of my information, Globe, Boston Globe Spotlight, that they did on this guy. They yeah. did a two-part series. Um, did it recently come out? Because one of our friends... It recently. I it. was, well, and I, when he's telling me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do it with this guy. And then she's like, no, that's the guy I'm doing <laughs> um so he's something this was quite um quite a story and i was getting very aggravated because it's when i tell you it's very dark to death i know exactly what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. and i think my hand was cramped from fucking writing and writing and writing and writing i should have just read you the fucking globe out i know okay so he's french so the way i pronounce his name is probably going to be completely incorrect but i'm going with yvonne barabo Okay. He is born and raised in Montreal, Canada. Oh, he's Canadian. He's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Our friends to the north. Uh, his dad's a traveling shoe salesman, oh. if there is such a thing anymore. Right. And stay-at-home mom. Uh, the mom is diagnosed with cancer when he's young, and she dies when he's a teenager. Oh. His uncle was a physician, I think, at the time, so he's like peppering his uncle with all these questions about what's going on with his mother's treatment. That's when he starts getting piqued about medicine. Um, medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's raised in a French Catholic speaking home. Mm-hmm. And after graduation, he applies to school. Eh, he doesn't get in the first time. But eventually, he's uh, in 1975, he's accept- accepted to the University of Montreal. Oh, nice. Oui, oui, where they only speak a French. Oh. The whole medical school is French. Really? Mm hmm. Huh. Yeah. So they talk about baguettes and mm. wine and cheese. No, I'm kidding. Wonderful. I know that's really arrogant and ignorant. I'm just joking. People are so sensitive these days. Very. All right. So he, uh, his professors remember him as a hard worker. Not the best in his class, but he had fast hands and um, he was hungry to learn. Mm-hmm. He was technically skilled. Oh, that's good. And he was willing to try any new medical device on the market. So if he's doing something, he's like, yeah, I'll try it. Yeah, I'll do it. He'll do whatever you want him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is physically impressive, oh. as one of his doctors described. Dr. Regent Bordeaux. Uh, he moved swiftly, rapidly, and <laughs> softly. Nope. No. 
swiftly, rapidly. I don't know. Maybe I wrote swiftly again. Maybe. Uh, he had a natural. He's quick. Yeah. He's quick. <laughs> he had a natural pair of hands. Some people are gifted and some are not. Mm-hmm. He is so fast. He gets the name the Montreal Express. Oh, I thought it was kind of ingenious. Yeah. All right. He decides to. Um, so he is trained in cardiothoracic surgery. Okay. All right. So as long as I've been doing this, which has been a long time. You, uh, the doctor's trained in cardiothoracic surgery. This will come up in later in the story why I'm explaining it. Um, you're trained both to do cardiac and thoracic. Mm-hmm. But you usually specialize in one or the other. You don't often see thoracic surgeons do heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And you don't often see heart surgeons do... L- thoracic surgeons do lung surgery, esophageal surgery, right. diaphragmatic surgeries. You don't see them swap off. They pick a... Su- then that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, though we worked with one guy in my career that would jump between both um he was mainly cardiac but once in a while you'd see him do a little back to me again with an h Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so he passes his boards in canada but canada's health system he's not jazzed with because they regulate their health system so bad he was only going to get one day a week and he wants to operate he wants to make money so he decides to come to the united states where we're all about money 24 7 we're all about the monies the money money so he initially goes to join Iowa, and, but he's, it's too slow for him. Dr. John Wiggins says he decided he wanted a busier city. I thought well of him. He was a little fast, but maybe he thought me a little slow. So by the 1990s, Barry Bow is licensed in Hawaii, California, Florida, and New Hampshire. Wait a minute. Hawaii, California. Florida, and New Hampshire. New Hampshire. That's where his medical Hawaii, license. California, Florida. I get They're kind yep. of similar. And then New Hampshire. And then New Hampshire. Okay. You'll find out why New Hampshire. Okay. Okay. So he... Sm- he decides to go to New Hampshire, where he settles in a small cardiothoracic practice in New Hampshire, only three other cardiac doctors that operates out of Catholic Medical Center. Oh. Um, it's the busiest program in the state, boasting about 700 cardiac cases a year. Wow. The Boston hospitals 50 miles south, like MGH, do two to three times that amount in a year. Mm-hmm. So this makes it the busiest north of Boston. There's a reason you really want to drive 50 miles south and go to the busiest hospitals in Boston. Okay. As you're going to find out. So he arrives and he is described as athletic and charming. You know he was getting a lot of ass. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. And he had the... That charm ch- will get you everywhere. Exactly. He had the chiseled good looks of a oh. soap opera doctor. Plus he has that French accent. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? Yeah. He was getting uh-huh. some shit. He was smooth. He carried himself with confidence in and out of the operating room. Oh. Some described him as warm and supportive with patients, and others describe him as brisk. When problems arose on uh, on a patient, he would switch into French and ventilate. So he's out in the hallway, motherfuckers, but he's saying it all in French. Right. Okay. So very quickly, he's doing about 300 open heart cases a year, plus he's doing vascular and thoracic cases. So he doesn't just limit himself to the heart. He's doing lungs, and he's doing legs and aortas, and he's doing it fucking all. Real, like, I see the aorta. You haven't seen surgeons like this since the 50s, right, okay? Right. Like, we, because of the, the years I started, we overlapped with surgeons who mm-hmm. used to do that, but they were on the tail end of their career, mm-hmm. and now you would just never see that. Surgeons no. are specialized. They do one thing, and that is it. Yeah. Because it's, I think it's very hard to be efficient in all of it. Yes. Because it's a lot. Especially with all the technology right. now. It's and, a lot. It's yeah. like us trying to be efficient right. in and circulating everything. and scrubbing, right. you know? All right. So he works long hours, late to the night, and he took very high-risk patients that basically nobody else would touch. Patients that were like, we're not going to touch you because you're going to die on the table. Mm -hmm. He's like, fuck it, I'm taking you. 
I'll fix you. I got this. Hmm. All right. And hmm. yep. So he keeps this pace up. He ends up with back pain. He gets Duplatron's contractures, so he's got hand issues. Um, He ends up with cancer. Oh. But all of them require cervical uh, surgical intervention, but he never stops doing what he's doing. So soon colleagues are noticing that he's always got a sense of urgency about him. He's like, let's go, go, go. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. We got to do more cases, more cases, more cases. So Connie Connie Loretta, a CRNA, he would track how fast he could do cases. He just wanted to move on to the next thing. Hmm. So in 1994, about two years after starting at Catholic Medical Center in Manchester, New Hampshire, a patient, Warren Garland, a retired 68-year-old World War II vet, he's a retired businessman, he was a former 50-year pack-a-day smoker. He goes to uh, the medical center. He has trouble breathing. Mm. CT and x-ray shows that he has possible cancerous mass. And um, he's in his lower left lobe, and he's referred to Dr. Bar- Barabo. So April of 1994. Nope. Yes. <laughs> yes. In April 3rd of 1994, mm-hmm. I started at my place of work. April 4th of 1994. Yeah, just thought I'd say that. Okay. So he, um, Barabo takes him into surgery, and he removes his left lower lung. In a deposition, Barabo states he performed a lobectomy for primary diagnosis of the cancer. Mm-hmm. A less invasive needle biopsy would not have been uh, appropriate as he could have probably missed cancerous cells. So basically, with it, he should have gone for a needle biopsy, but he, he didn't want to because he thought he was... So he takes the whole lobe of this guy. So, um, turns out Mr. Garland doesn't have <gasps> pneumonia. He ends up having... No, I'm sorry. He doesn't have cancer. He has pneumonia. He took his lobe from pneumonia. pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Oh and instead of getting better, this guy's getting worse. Mm-hmm. He's having more and more trouble breathing. He ends up on constant O2. And eventually his daughters are like, we're taking him Mass General in Boston. And they go down to Mass General in Boston where they see a Dr. John Wayne, mm-hmm. who in September of 1995, he removes the rest of the lung. Wayne states to family that when removing the lung, there's sutures in the left pulmonary vein. The left pulmonary vein carries oxygen back to the heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. Apparently, Barabo had cut the pulmonary vein by mistake, but told no one. It's not in his op report. It's nowhere that he's cut this vein. And he's down in the lower lobe. Oh, yep. Okay. It was in no op notes or anywhere that he did it. The repair sutures that he used to fix this clogged the vein. So now the guy's not getting any oxygen to the lung because of it. What did he use? I, I don't know. So Dr. Wayne is quoted as, I have never seen a surgeon accidentally cut the pulmonary vein while removing the lower lobe. They're You're not near it. This like, is what he says. They're about an inch apart. A long way in the geography of surgery. <laughs> it's not just distance. He's like, they're in disparate places. Like, they're completely right. far apart. Okay? I've had the privilege of knowing Dr. Wayne, who's one of the finest surgeons to have ever touched lung. Mm-hmm. So if he's telling you this, he fucking knows what he's talking yeah. about. So Mr. Garland never fully recovers. And just before his death in February of 96, he tells his daughters, quote, sue that Barabo. At every get every damn penny out of him and take care of yourselves. The daughters sue. So I have to just preface that a lot of this information to get is hard because there's so many lawsuits right. against him, right. and they're all anybody who's settled had to um, do a non-disclosure. So you can't get a lot of information on a lot of these cases. So um, 
The daughter sue, and it's thought to be the first of 21 medical malpractice suits against Barabo over the course of his, I think it was 30 year practice. He has one of the worst surgical malpractice practice records among all doctors in the United States. Uh, there is no U.S. physician with more settlements involving surgical deaths, deaths in the last 20 years. And there is no physician in New Hampshire history with this record. Oh my God. Period. Okay. Most surgical specialties, one, every, one surgeon may have one to two. Mm-hmm. Nobody has 21. No. So when deposed by the Gallen family, lawyers, Barabo states he doesn't recall ever cutting the pulmonary vein or repairing it. He says he never have heard of that kind of complication as the car, the... Um, they're so far away from each other. Mm. Says he um, is an honest surgeon who would never lie about doing anything or something like that to a patient. Mm-hmm. But when he's pushed by the family lawyers, he acknowledges that he could have left those clogging sutures in and admits that failure to report this would be more than below standards of care. Mm. Family gets a million dollars. After the settlement, Catholic Medical Center makes Barabo the poster boy for the New England Heart and Vascular Institute in their campaign in February 1999. Oh, my God. By 2005, Catholic Medical Center's mortality st- statistics show that 10% of Barabo's surgical cases die. That's a pretty high a statistic. Lot. for yeah. you, you don't want to go to a surgeon who's got a 10% death rate. Right. Unless his cases are the cases where you're, right. over, you're going in with a 50-50 chance. Right. All right? It's way higher than his colleagues. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Joseph Pepe, chief medical officer, calls on an emergency meeting of the Catholic Medical Center's board to discuss the problem. The board is made up of, like, priests and businessmen, few doctors, but everybody's involved financially Mm -hmm. in this institution. So he makes a very forceful case of how dangerous Barabo is and that he's killing people. The hospital hires a renowned heart surgeon, Dr. Donald Doughty, to observe Barabo in surgery. Mm -hmm. Doughty reports... He's an excellent surgeon, but he's taking on patients that other doctors wouldn't touch because they won't survive. He doesn't give a shit whether you're going to survive or not. He's going to take you on. Mm-hmm. Hospital says he's willing to take... He thinks the hospital portrays it like, oh, it's such a noble effort. He's giving hope to patients mm-hmm. who have no hope, and blah, blah, blah. Instead, they don't see it as... He's taking the lives of people who could have spent more time with their families. Right. And getting paid for it. Right. Yeah. So... um he w- basically, the other surgeons are like, he just wants to be high volume goals and he's prepared to give false up to families to do that. Mm-hmm. So the hospital oversees his patient selection now and they're like, you know, they're going to step in. And the results, you see somewhat of a little bit of a better, mm-hmm. um, his statistics go from 10 to like seven. Because he's not operating on dead people. Because he's not people. operating on dead people. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there are some people you just, it's oper- surgery is not an option. Mm-hmm. I know these patients are always looking for hope, but sometimes you need to listen. Yeah. So. He completes uh, July 20th, no, July 2012. He completes an eight-hour cabbage, which is coronary bypass. All right, so they go in and they reroute shit around your heart for blockages. So he leaves the OR at 8.30, and this is a small community hospital, so there's no residents. Mm-hmm. He leaves the RNFA, which is a nurse first assist, and the anesthesiologist and the circulator, and he says, watch for bleeding. They're like, okay, and he leaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, he leaves. Like leaves hospital. Like, he's, like he didn't go to pee. Correct. Okay. He leaves. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the bleeding increases. Now the patient's starting to become unstable. She is in the OR getting blood transfusions, and it's getting bad. Anesthesia's trying their best. Anesthesiologist James Dana. I was in the OR trying to keep her alive. 
I can keep putting blood in and putting it in, but I needed a surgeon. Mm -hmm. Even though it's expected that the attending surgeon stay in the hospital till the patient is stable, and if he isn't, there should be an uh, a cardiac surgeon on call. Mm -hmm. Fucking no one's in the hospital. No cardiac surgeons in the hospital. No, nobody's in the hospital. Staff is calling for ninety fucking minutes to get somebody <gasps> in the hospital to help this patient. And finally, Doctor Ben Westbrook arrives at ten ten, which is almost two hours into the oh bleeding. My God. Patient dies the next day. Yeah. Barabo says that he and Westbrook looked for bleeding before leaving and found none. Yet the RNFA, the nurse in the room, states that that's a lie. They were never in the room together. Mm -hmm. The RNFA wanted to report Barabo, but she's told you do that. You're going to probably lose your job. I just keep your mouth shut and just keep going. He's given a five out of five worst rating for his handling of this patient. You would think. Right. Yeah. The committee states that reckless behavior, lack of proper handoff, and um, not having a proper system of having somebody in the hospital mm -hmm. for 90 minutes was poor patient care. Mm -hmm. He's given a letter of re reprimand in January of 2013. He's ordered to ensure a surgeon is always available to his patients after surgery, and he is to document properly, because he doesn't document when this shit happens. Right. He's a fucker. He's just leaving out right. all that. But later that same month, mm -hmm. January of 2013... He's covering the ICU now. Mm -hmm. Staff calls to report about a patient in the ICU who is bleeding profusely. Mm -hmm. By the early morning, it is suspected the patient is now in cardiac tamponade. Now, they have been calling him all night. He doesn't feel like coming in. He's mm -hmm. tired. He doesn't want to come in. They, he finally comes in in the morning, takes the patient when the patient's in cardiac arrest now from the so cardiac tamponade is the pericardium's filling up with blood from all the bleeding. Eventually your heart's going to stop because it has no more room. Right. So you, this is anywhere in the, what in the United States is an emergency. He doesn't want to come in because he's fucking tired. Finally, when the guy goes cardiac arrest, he brings him in patient's brain dead. They take him off the vent. He dies. He's again, given a five out of five for worst patient care. Mm hmm. Hospital backs him saying, well, it was his clinical judgment that he didn't need to come in. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the staff's like, he was known to pull shit like this, that you would call him while he was on call and he would be falling asleep on the phone and the nurses would slam the phone on the desk and be like, are you awake now? Like, you got to come in. Yeah. He'd fall asleep during conversation. He didn't want to come in. So he's suspended for 28 days after this happens. That's three days shy of what would be required to report to the national database, uh, which would make it available for medical boards to see. Mm -hmm. They extend his employment another year. Oh my God, yep. why? They, because he makes money. money. He's yeah. bringing in money. Right. Staff is told he's out for back surgery. Nobody knows he's out on a disciplinary mm -hmm. action. Um, New Hampshire is known to have the worst medical licensing board in the United States. Really? Yep. It is... They're, they believe that they don't see it as their responsibility to inform the public at all about aspects of a doctor's troubled history and also to protect the privacy of the surgeon or the physician, I should yeah, say. Live for your die. Yep. Live, live for, for your die. die. Fucking New Hampshire. God bless you. So fall 2014, Frank Pellegrino, good mm -hmm. old paisan, 75-year-old mm -hmm. retired elevator company office manager. Yeah. He's playing cards with his buds, probably mm -hmm. down at the, you know, FW playing some cards where he's getting like two buck drinks that taste like shit. Mm -hmm. Searing pain in his left leg. He's oh. rushed to Catholic Medical Center. Oh, no. The pain is a 10 out of 10 oh, in no. his leg. It is pale. It is cool. It is 
pulseless. Laura, what do you think's going on here? I'm going to say he's clotted off. He's got a fucking blood clot. Yeah. Ultrasound shows blood clot. At 1.30 in the afternoon, the PA, Brian Barb, he calls for vascular surgery immediately. He knows this is a problem. The leg's going to die. And who's covering vascular? Oh, no. Fuck. Arabo's clarifying. Because, you know, cardiac and thoracic aren't enough. He's covering vascular, too. He assumes Pellegrino will go into surgery. Barb assumes, the PA assumes that this guy's going to go right to surgery because he's got a fucking dead leg. This is an emergency. The dead leg. You have to have blood flowing to your limbs. Right. But Barabo's got other plans. He's doing a non-emergent cabbage first. Which, of course, runs into complications. Of course it right. does. So at 8 o'clock, six hours <gasps> later, he finally brings his to surgery. Which ultimately, the guy loses his leg above the knee. Family sues. Yeah. Barabo states, I think I'm a good clinical guy. I think. I'm not perfect. But what I see at the time tells me this is an urgent case, not emergent. Really? Because a fucking layman would know this was an emergent case. There's it's a dead leg. Blood flow. It's a fucking dead leg. Right. Okay. So the hospital tries to put it on the PA, this poor Bob, who was like, he needed to go to emergent, emergently. Yeah. Dr. Kathleen Zafino, she was the former director of the ER. Mm-hmm. She says the hospital's trying to force her to give him a bad report. She's like, fuck no. He was doing what he the was supposed f- to do. Assistant. She stood behind him 100%. Yeah. And the, the PA's like, thank God somebody was standing behind me because that could have ruined my career. Right. Pellegrino dies in 2017 after going... after doing a deposition in yet another fucking lawsuit against Barabo. Oh my God. Um, they settle for $500,000, the family. Uh, now a line is drawn in the sand between the administration who is protecting him and the staff who is done. They want him out. The surgeon, yeah. other other physicians are like looking at his record because these cases at the time are being reviewed by a board of colleagues. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at it and be like, this was poor care. Mm-hmm. So in 2015, um, 2015, the CMC chairman, Rick Botnick, he rep, uh, he reprimands <laughs> that Barbo, that this is your third incident. And, um, if this, another thing happens, we're going to have to fire you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So by now, a group of five physicians are trying to stop Barbo. It, the article itself gets into whistleblowers, um, this one particular doctor who, who was a whistleblower, but he also had a very difficult personality. So it's very hard to decipher if the hospital gets rid of him because he was whistleblowing on this or guy because or difficult. because he was a difficult person yeah. because he had another problem at another hospital with his personality yeah. and had to take anger management classes. And, you know, we've been through this round yes. with some of our own mm-hmm. doctors. So um, the doctors are all trying to stop him, but administration's rebuffing him. They go to the archdiocese and they're actually speaking to this Monsignor John Quinn. He's on the board. And they're like, you know, it was like going to a confessional. We felt like we could say everything and nothing's fucking done. He's not going to do anything. So they mention the case of a retired army officer who lost so much blood during Barabo surgery that they replenished her blood volume five times over. That's, that's how much blood she's losing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And she dies the next day. Yes. Um, each of these doctors is either ignored many faced retaliation they were fired they were taken away um positions were taken away Mm -hmm. from them they were isolated in offices the hospital doesn't want to fucking hear it Mm -hmm. because this guy's bringing in a shit ton of money okay letters are written to the medical board asking for his removal nothing is done about it Mm -hmm. so he is also manipulating mortality statistics at the hospital how is he doing that well let's tell you how he's doing that hold on i gotta reposition my leg because sit for long periods of time in the same position because i'm fucking old okay 2018 
An elderly man has another cabbage, which again is a coronary bypass graft mm-hmm. by Barabo. So they say they were keeping him on a heart lung machine. I'm going with it was ECMO up on the floor. He's in the ICU. I'm going with the ECMO because you're not going to bring a pump. Okay. So ECMO is like a heart lung machine. They put these these cannulas into your... um, Either your veins or your arteries. Right. And they're oxygenating your blood to give your lung and heart a break, kind Mm -hmm. of. Okay. So this old guy, God bless his heart, he's on this. The tissue around his incision in in his chest is starting to necrose. It's dying. It's turning black. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Staff knows this fucker's dead. Yeah. Two weeks in, they're like, he's dead. Mm-mm. We're going to keep him on the vent. Keep him on the vent. All right. And he's telling the family, this guy's going to have a full recovery. What? Yep. Okay. Okay. Staff says he is rotting from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Chest wall is gone. It's black and necrosed. Family is told otherwise. He's kept on a vent for 30 days and then put on palliative care. Why, you may ask. Because a patient who dies within 30 days of surgery, mm-hmm. it is a surgical-related death. Mm-hmm. There is one organization that pays out that looks beyond the 30 days, unless you're put on hospice. So he, after 30 days, you go immediately onto hospice, which then this poor guy, the tube's pulled, he's fucking dead right. within seconds. he's been dead for yep. a month, yeah. So one staffer quoted Barabo as saying, we are pushing forward with this patient. You've got to keep it going for 30 days. Of course, he denies he's ever said Mm -hmm. this. He does this with multiple, multiple patients. But the staff also says other doctors did this as well. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants this as a surgical death. Okay. Late April of 2018. Mm -hmm. He's in the operating room and he looks like shit. He doesn't feel good. This is Barabo. He doesn't look good. It's just going down. Everyone's like, what's wrong? He ends up in the ER. Mm -hmm. He has colon cancer. He needs surgery and he needs chemo. Okay. So they're like, I'll be out for months. Right. Mm -hmm. A month later, he has a note from his doctor saying he's coming back to work. As of May 21st. So he's diagnosed in April, May 21st. He's back to work. He starts chemo May 31st. And he has treatments every other week. But he is still operating a full fucking schedule. That's insane. Right. It's insane. Because chemo, you can have uh, numbness in your fingers. Yeah. Like He can't operate like even this. Even if you're just tired. Right. Even if the only thing was it was tired, you're t- already tired. Yeah, and you're mentally compromised. Right. And this is on top of he has severe back issues yeah. and he's got hand contractures. Okay? The staff isn't sympathetic. They're concerned like, what the fuck? How can they let this guy operate? Right. Uh, the director of surgical services is like, why is he operating? She's told he's cleared. Now the summer comes. All right. In a single five-week stretch, three of Barapo patients die and two are severely injured in surgeries that were later part of the medical malpractice suits. I'm reading this directly from the article. Hospital records and other documents obtained by the Globe provide some information about the patients. All men over 60 who died or were injured during this patient. One elective heart surgery case that in July included a problem with the same kind of heart valve that he had previously experienced trouble implanting. Substantial post-op bleeding followed. A patient was cognitively impaired and later died. Oh, God. Later that month, he saw through a man's sternum near the edge instead of in the middle. Oh. According to a CMC document obtained by the Globe, this probably made it harder for the sternum to be wired shut properly, and the man's chest opens up after surgery. Because of complication, one leg was amputated, and the patient spent months in the ICU before being released. Probably because he was on ECMO. Exactly. And the leg wasn't perfused. And- right. Oh, my so God. at that summer, it's clear this guy's struggling physically, and there's so much secrecy around his condition that it said Barabo was sick. 
he was coughing a lot, recalled Margaret Rodriguez, a former CMC operating room director. At one point, I was in his own R, and I must have fed him seven cough drops behind his mask. So at this point, the nurses go directly to administration. They basically sit down with the administration. They're like, what do you want us to do? They're like, we'd never want to see him fucking operating again. This right. is ridiculous. Admin one specifics. They start reading off um, one of the RNFA gives testimony after testimony after testimony of all these cases mm-hmm. that this fucker's got going on. Mm-hmm. By late summer, he's off the schedule. Good. Christmas Eve, he's back on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> but this time, they've got medical malpractice lawyers involved. Okay. High-powered attorneys mm-hmm. that basically go to the administration. They're like, he fucking operates. Somebody gets hurt. We're going to sue the shit out of this place. And we're going to close you down. Mm-hmm. He's back off the schedule. Retired, quote unquote. He's yeah. retired. He's removed with the schedule. And as of today, he's officially retired. He has settled 17 of the 21 cases. Um, he never admitted to any wrongdoing no, in any of these cases. And according, if you were to still look him up on the New Hampshire Medical Board, pristine record. Nothing, Are you kidding? None of this is on his fucking record. Uh Unblemished, unblemished record. So this reminded me of Dr. Death in that the hospital doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. They kept putting it off, putting it off, mm-hmm. putting it off, putting it off mm-hmm. because he's making money. Yeah. And they don't want to make him look bad. And all these poor patients are suffering. I hope CMC has been sued. I haven't heard any more about that. I'm sure they're involved in they some of these lawsuits. They pushed it right under the rug. They knew. And like I have a friend who recently has discovered at a very young age she has a heart issue mm-hmm. and she wants to go to a place up in like east bumfuck new hampshire i'm like please do the hour ride to mass to mass general to the brigham to the deaconess mm-hmm. to come to boston people fly all over the world mm-hmm. to come to our medical centers mm-hmm. why are you going to a podunk fuck place in new hampshire and not to say that there aren't good surgeons in those places i'm not I'm sure there are, but but there's limited resources there's limited resources there's limited staff they aren't staffed 20, yes, we're staffed with usually residents and fellows. And mistakes will be picked up quicker because other people's eyes are on the right. same thing. You have multiple physicians looking at these cases. I'm not saying it's always the way to go. No. Small shit. Yes, go to these places. Your heart. Your heart. Mm. I can't. Mm. I know. It's that one guy had gone seeing Dr. John Wayne from the fucking start. Mm-hmm. This could have been avoided. He probably ended up with a little VATS procedure where they took a little biopsy, call it a day, and it would have been pneumonia and we would have been done. Or he probably if, would it have, if it would even get that far. If it even got that far. Because of scans and it's, So it's just, and... I'm not shitting on everything no, out no, there, but if you're going for big everywhere. stuff, if you're having a big life-altering surgery, you can do your hips, do your knees, do small stuff in these places something big go and get go get the best you know what i mean so shit happens everywhere but um uh, to be able to push it under a rug yes is how to do when there's more yes when there's everybody looking at you and reviewing and i mean i'm not always psyched about some of the facilities that i've worked at but i say the one we work at now shit like this is taken serious if the nurses went and said there's a fucking problem here. They would investigate it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that way. Maybe I'm delusional. Maybe I'm naive. No. But I do feel like they would have done something about it and they would deal with these problems because they do have their own name. Because you can brush it under the rug all you want. When word gets out what you did, mm-hmm. your name's ruined. Yeah. And that's all they have. Yeah. And That's I, all they have. I'm taking this law and ethics class right now. And in it, it, this is like going over like what we're talking about. Like 
I forget the percentage, but most patients say all they want is for the the doctor and the place to say, we made a mistake. Yes. And if you say that, it's validates you. That's all you. they want. Yep. Like they're not even, they're like, I don't want to, I just want to know what happened. Yeah, just don't make me feel like happened. I was stupid. But or... then you're telling me nothing happened. No, not something happened. I came out with no leg. Like, you know, some, <laughs> like obviously something yep. happened and they like, just be honest. Mm-hmm. It's just going to help you. Why Honesty are you hiding? Is these... the best policy. Right. I tell my children that right. I shouldn't have to tell my hospital no. that. And why are you hiding these doctors? You didn't do it. This mm-hmm. doctor did. Not that you should throw someone under the bus, but if they're making egregious yes. errors in a terrible, you sh- um, yes, okay, something happened. You know, mistakes happen. If it's a continuing yeah. problem, you know, there's something actually. And just wrong. like Doctor Death, this guy doesn't think he was doing anything wrong. I think he honestly feels he was giving the best care he could give. I guess. And I think when he's confronted with doing wrong. He's backtracking like, no, I did. Oh, I'll cover it up. Like, nobody yeah. will know if I just don't write it in the op report. Like, right. So vet your doctors. Um, just because the medical board doesn't report it doesn't mean he isn't a hack. No. And um, it is nice to know people that work in the field. Yes. Because they see. You know, and then I can tell, oh, he's a hack. But they can say, oh, why don't you go see so-and-so? Mm. Or The worst feeling in the world is when some of our surgeons who aren't as best as others and the patient comes in and they're like, is he good? And you want to be like get off this table and fucking go home. And you're just like, he does a great, he does a good job. Yeah. I would never say I'd go to him, but yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's like, cause sometimes I'm like, mm, there's better options out there. They're not terrible, but that's I would think if, yes, that's the thing. And if someone were or causing problems, like I would have reported. Oh, I yeah. would report it. And that's, I don't know. We're doing this case. We were reviewing this case in that class and it's this guy in Hawaii. He's a doctor and this um, older man who was sick came in and he had a bad back and he's like, oh, I'll throw some rods and screws in it, whatever. Okay. And they're on like a little island. And, mm-hmm. and he goes to do the case. The trays got dropped off like Medtronics, which is a um, vendor company, vendor, drop, has the trays dropped off, blah, blah, blah. They sat the surgery that two hours in. He asked for the rods he want. They're not in the kit. So like, we don't have those rods. So they did drop them off whole. The hospital like misplaced them, whatever, when they were doing, when they were sterilizing the kits and the vendor was like i can get them they just had another so it's gonna take like 90 minutes for me to get the rods he's like well i'm not waiting and he cut a piece of a screwdriver uh, <gasps> and used it as a unilateral rod so when you're fine you usually put two because it on both sides nope so nope nope you nope nope cut nope, a nope screwdriver mm-hmm. immediately i can't I believe the vendor was okay with that a i no, he wasn't but he can't i mean physically right. stop right him. if i were that nurse or that scrub, I would say, no, you can't. No, you yeah, can't. Yeah, we're not doing that. that. You're not having that. Mm-hmm. And if he continued to take it from me and cut it, I would then go get my manager, my this, my th- I would get everybody in the world and say, you're not doing this. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't happening. That didn't happen. Right. The nurse did think it was wrong. It happened. And then later when it broke and the guy needed further surgery and then he was wicked sick and he mm-hmm. eventually died. Um, she did tell the She did tell people after. Yeah. I would have had a safety report about it. that and all that. Yeah, I don't think there's, there didn't seem to be any no. safety reports. Then when they took it out, she took it and gave it to a lawyer. So she did think it was wrong, but I'm like, but you didn't stop. Like, I would have been like hands on the Do you remember that stopping. case we did down in cardiac? And they were all, we were doing, the anesthesiologist was getting bullied by the two surgeons. Do you remember this? I think you were in the room with me. Mm. And... Nobody would, they were like, we're doing this. And he's like, the patient's not really ready. And, and finally I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. stop. Yeah. We're all stopping here. Yeah. And I looked at him. I'm like, are you 
comfortable? And he's like, no. I'm like, then we're stopping. Right. That's it. Yeah. Because I got a big fat fucking mouth and I don't care. Right. When you see something wrong, you have, you to, have say to say something. something you have and to say that's it. I don't care who you have to I don't do. care I've been who in is. several cases where I'm like, no, stop. Yeah, we're not doing this. That's wrong. Let's stop. And, yep. you know, it's not like they're pretending to do something wrong. But, but I think they all get caught up. They don't see something. And you do. And you you have to say something if yep. you see something. I brought my manager down in and I'm not like a, I don't report. Like, I'm no. not like, a, oh, I'm reporting you. It's not even that I'm reporting you. I need help because this, I need to stop right now and we need to reassess what's Right. Happening. And make sure we're doing the right thing. Yes. And what's best for the yes. patient. I just want to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Because bottom line, mm-hmm. people think OR nurses, do oh, we, we don't do shit. Yeah. The bottom line, OR nurses are advocating for people who yep. can't advocate for themselves. Right. That I patient tell- can't say a word. I'm doing it right. If I've said it once on this podcast, mm-hmm. I've said it a million times. You have five minutes, mm-hmm. and then you're spending the rest of the time protecting them mm-hmm. when nobody else what mm-hmm. is. So you need to step up mm-hmm. and tell somebody to stop. Or no, we're not doing that. No, you're not cutting that out because that's not on the consent because they can't talk for themselves. Right. So any OR nurse out there should never poo-poo the job they're doing because it's very important. Because these important. people are unconscious. Mm-hmm. They're at their most vulnerable. And you're stepping in. You're mm-hmm. the buffer. And not that these people, I, I don't think um, 99.9% of Most doctors, of them are all whatever, on the same page. I'm not trying to harm the patient, no. but sometimes they get they're thinking about one thing, but you have to be thinking about right. everything. You know what I mean? So it's... Sometimes you, you surgery can be up. very self-centered and they're only thinking of their needs. They don't always see the big picture. Right. And it's the nurse's job to present the big picture. Like, yeah. you know, some of them are wonderful. Yes. But some of them are very focused Tunnel. on just what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And you have to say, no, there's a bigger thing going on. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, we got a couple of emails. Yes, they do. Um, I'm going to read mine from my mm-hmm. new boyfriend, Emmett, Emmett. Local 4. Mm-hmm. You hear us talk about Emmett? He's our BFF. I think Emmett's coming to Thanksgiving dinner. Emmett, um, mm-hmm. you, can, you and your family can come because <laughs> I feel like we are compadres now. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Laura. Hi. Thanks for the shout out, ladies. You're Here's welcome. another one, Local Four on the Labor Day podcast. I really hope we have that right. <laughs> That's, I'm going with it. Okay. Uh, a little follow up: two of the most tragic stories that you covered. One, the two men that got hit. This is regarding to our OSHA episode we did over Labor Day that actually came out in October. <laughs> The two men that got hit by the dump truck and died in the trench. And number two, the two men that were killed in the horrific tent trench flooding accident that I'm still having nightmares about yes. that did not have shoring trench protection. Now, listen, this is an opinion. This is not fact what I'm about to read. This is what he is. This is what Emmett is. Telling this us. is what Emmett is telling yes. us. Both of these tragedies were caused by the same company owner. Parentheses. I can't remember the exact names of the companies, but some research like should bring it up. I'm not doing any more fucking research. Like I love you, but Atlantic I'm not doing Atlantic drain or Atlantic. Something like that. Something. I I believe the earlier tragedy was a company named Atlantic Drain. Yeah. Laura, yeah. look at you go. Look or something me. to that effect. The owner was cited and I believed barred from bidding on more contracts. Parentheses. I believe previous safety violations also played a role in this decision. Mm-hmm. Undone parentheses. Change the name of this company, may or may not, of place a family member in charge as CEO president, parentheses wife or something, and continue to bid or perform work, Mm -hmm. which caused tragedy number two. Mm -hmm. This is all going from memory. Like I said, you probably need to research a bit. Not doing that, Emmett. But I believe, to the best of my knowledge and recollection, that this is true. Again, this is Emmett's recollection. I do do believe that... It is the Atlantic Drain Company. I do believe that. My personal thoughts... The owner is, I'm going to add a little word for him, a fucking scumbag <laughs> that plays profit over safety, training, and protection for his employees. We're all sons, daughters, brothers, and sisters, mm-hmm. families, and mothers, aunts, uncles, husbands, and wives mm-hmm. that just want what everybody else wants to go home to our loved ones at the end of the workday. 
Thank you for all the do all you do. Love the podcast and the accidents. Emmett, accents. My hot kid goes out to you. Not accidents. I said accents. I said accidents. I meant accents. He doesn't love the accents. He loves our podcast. Accents. accents. He hates the accidents. All right. <laughs> he really is unhappy with the accents. So Emmett, Thanksgiving dinner. I'll be waiting for you to show up. I'm okay. gonna have stuffing and potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I have this email from Ruth. It says, from who? Ruth. Oh, I thought you said Roop. No, what Ruth. the fuck is wrong with me? Ruth. <laughs> oh, let me finish my Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep track. Uh, it says, hello, Laura and Nicole from Oklahoma. Ooh, where the winds come whistling down the plains. No. What the fuck? You never heard of the play no. Oklahoma? No. Mike, have you heard of the play Oklahoma? I've heard of it. I've never yes. heard it. That's the song. Oklahoma, where the winds come whistling down the plains. And yeah, they stopped performing that by the time Jesus, I was Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Um, it says, I found your podcast at, after finding you on TikTok. I'm a nursing student who is currently taking anatomy. During the bone unit, I found myself saying, quote unquote, Achba, <laughs> fairly often. Yes, you are that TikTok famous. Made an A on that test, by the way. Woo! Thanks, Laura. You're get all your other students listening. They'll get A's too. We can find you plenty of words that will help you do that. Um, I love your history episodes. They are so able to hear stories of history from the medical standpoint. I have learned so much. So have we. Yeah. Um, I have They're my s- favorites. I know. I have to say, I have gone back and listened to most of the older episodes. Some of them have made me question. A nurse, especially the violence in the workplace, <laughs> the episode about nurses in the news, That's and the bullying. That's why you go to the OR because they're all asleep and can't hit mm-hmm. you. However, the nursing shortage is still very real, and one of my whys is just to help. I would rather go in with my eyes fully open than miss out knowing what I am fully walking into. Thanks for that. I do have to tell you the story though about how your podcast prepared me for an interesting situation that happened in my anatomy <laughs> class one day. Oh God bless! What is this coming? I don't know. I'm a little nervous. I probably should have <laughs> exactly. read this ahead of time. <laughs> you learned how to drink well with yeah. your friends. Our anatomy class is fortunate enough to have cadavers to study. Are you fucking what the kidding fuck? me? I, I don't even think a I had a dummy. Pig. I, yeah, I don't. We didn't even have like a dummy. I don't think. Oh, Jesus. that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. Um, when they were brought out, lots of students had many different reactions, which was expected the first day. Obviously, I'd have been fucking elbow deep in that shit. <laughs> Bowels up to my arms. The second day of class with these cadavers. However, we were being instructed on muscles by our professor, and one of my fellow students said, "It's hot in here." Having just listened to an wah, episode wah, where you all wah. discussed people passing out in the OA, I started watching the student like a hawk. I am thinking she's going down soon. <laughs> you can just see her like eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. <laughs> and there's a still. I'm seeing her going down soon, and there's a sil- silver table in front of her, mm. and she's gonna hit her head. Mm-hmm. I knew it was coming. Cranny. They started to fidget a lot, quote, uh, quotation, which I remember was the next step. Mm-hmm. We finally finished. They kind of with- start dancing around. Yeah. They start moving. Yeah. Touching everything. Moving the hands. Yeah. Um, we hot. finally I'm finished hot. with the professor and go to our seats. And this student is pale. They stated, I don't know what is wrong with me, but I feel sick. But I do. <laughs> but I'm like sweating. I told them, look, you got pale and probably going to pass out. I think you probably need to leave here for a bit. The student left and did text back that they were fine later. Your podcast was the only reason I even knew that something was wrong with the student. <laughs> it would have been way more fun if she had let her pass out. Oh, God. <laughs> no one Come on, that would have been such a great story. <laughs> Although, she slides down in her chair. <laughs> if one of us were there, she would have been on the floor yeah. without even knowing Close what Close off. <laughs> Mouse down, head off. We just strip you. We don't yeah, even but you're getting you. naked. I'm not, you're not passing out. <laughs> Um, if you ever do anything more about the OKC bombing, I know you covered in deadliest week, but barely hit the highlights. I know we had, you know, we have a well, limited you know time. What? It's rough to hear too. Yeah, I mean, people lot. can it only hear lot, so much of our death and dismemberment. Like hours. But this is, this bombing happened when I was in grade school. 
Here are some interesting. Really? Because I was fucking working when that happened. <laughs> I was still in high school, I think. Oh, I might have just been out of high school. Oh, God I might damn, have been working. I don't remember. You youngins. Um, here are some interesting facts you didn't mention. Tim McVeigh had watched Waco happen and was upset over that in Ruby Ridge, and that's why he chose to I do what he that. did. And the reports were that something had happened at the local Y, which had a daycare with a lot more children. Nurses and doctors from the closest hospital ran several blocks to the scene and were some of the first on scene. In fact, at least one nurse who had shown up to help had been hit by debris and died, sadly, <gasps> at the scene. That would be me. I know. <laughs> Thinking I'm helping. Crack. Done. One of the survivors had a failed amputation performed by a doctor upside down and under debris where he and the patient were the only two there. The response by my city to the bombing is an amazing testament to everything that nurses and frontline workers do for others. It was amazing to watch the same thing sadly happen in Boston, too. There are lots more stories, and if you ever get a chance to come to uh, Oklahoma... You should visit the memorial and museum because it is a really beautiful site. I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite spot being an area of tiles created by children around the state. And one small tile says, Bo cares. I with the blue hat and blue paint. A fucking mess. I know. Hysterical crying if I saw I that. Maybe not for me. Uh, one thing really cool or crazy, you can decide which, about Oklahoma is disaster isn't new to us. We are a hardy people who often deal with tornadoes. In fact, one of the biggest in F5... On May 20th, 2013, hit a hospital in Moore, Oklahoma, which is a part of the metro area. If you ever do a podcast on tornadoes, you should try to do it in May, as that is tornado season. I promise every Oklahoman has a crazy story about surviving or being close to a tornado. And yes, the Tiger King wasn't a far-off depiction of the (laughs) types of crazies you can experience out here. Listen, my brother was the Tiger King, okay? Especially the scene where the tornado is coming and he jumps in his four-wheeler and rides off (laughs) saying, protect the cats, we got a twister, or whatever it was. One year we had tigers get out during a tornado. That was a crazy night of tornadoes, hail, lightning, flash floods, and tigers. That was on May 6, 2015. <laughs> tornadoes and hails and tigers. Oh, my. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to drop a line and thank you for such an amazing podcast. It makes me laugh. It educates. And it helped me spot the signs of the fellow student close to fainting. Thanks for all you do, Ruth. Oh, Ruth. That was a lovely email. Thank you, Ruth. And my good idea had, about the tornadoes. I had family who lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and... Let alone that I wanted to see an oil derrick. I know that sounds fucking weird, but we don't see them. So all I wanted to the see... The thingy? That bobs? Yes. Which oh, I got we to... drove through Texas like every five yeah, feet. Well, really. at that time, I was yeah, like yeah. 17. I had never seen one. I'm like, I want to see an oil derrick. Like, so fucking random. <laughs> and we got a, a rainstorm. And dude, my face is glued to the window. My aunt's, my father's aunt was like 110 at the time. I'm like, is that a tornado? Is that a tornado? She's like... This, this isn't going to be a tornado. I'm like, what do you mean this is going to be a tornado? It's raining in Oklahoma. It must be going to be a fucking tornado. She's like, no, you'll see them start coming down from the sky. So I'm looking for like little clouds coming. I was very disappointed I didn't see a tornado I've in Oklahoma. I've seen a tornado. Do you want to know where? On the Cape. No shit. <laughs> no shit. Your face. No shit. On the water? Uh, or in... Mm-mm. I mean, we had one in Springfield. I In seen. the town. Like... We- I was with, like, my high school boyfriend's family. We I would like, died. down there. And we were at the store, like, me and his sisters or something. And we come back to the house. And him and his, like, brother and the father or something were out, like, on the... There was, like, a little lake near there. And they were out on that, like, behind the house. And we came back and we're like, there's all, like... It's wicked dark and there's things. And then all of a sudden, there's... Like, you can see, like, a tornado coming down. And now the mother's losing her shit. Like, she's running out. There. We're screaming. <laughs> they were across the lake. We're like, come back! And, like, we're like, there's a tornado! And they're like, what? Like, they have no idea what we're saying. They can't hear something. It was a 
You could see. You we saw the whole the funnel, funnel hit the ground. It was like crazy. I mean, the it was all it wasn't gonna do. Anything, the closest but. I came to a tornado is I was working nights mm-hmm. and I had to bring my kids to my parents' house mm-hmm. and I was sleeping upstairs and I'm like snuggle down. It's dark. I'm out like a light. Mm-hmm. All right. I get up. My mother's like, a tornado came through. I'm like, what? She's like, a tornado hit the city. Like. <laughs> Where I'm walking around, this shit like debris, yeah. buildings down. I was like, "Whoa!" I slipped through a fucking tornado. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are like, "It was unbelievable." My mom's like, "We were in the basement." I'm like, "And, and you, you left, left me upstairs?" <laughs> well, you sleeping in the. <laughs> you can't like a night shift work. Like, I don't get mad when you wake me up, but Jesus Christ, I'm gonna die. Maybe. It's a tornado. If there was a fire. Yeah, you're gonna get yeah, 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 yeah. They left me sleeping upstairs. They were awesome. Yeah, our tornadoes are slightly different. Yeah, than they're not the. the they're like an F negative three. They're I'm not like, I like an F five. Walked through it, but it was scary to see it. Like we probably should. People have asked us yeah, to we cover. We it. probably should because they do hit hospitals. All right, May tornadoes coming at you. All right, yeah. let's put that put the file that away, Laura. Make a note. All right, so that is this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Yes. Um, we will catch you next week with. Halloween, no, my favorite. favorite time of the year. Bye. Bye. Yep. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.